Today on Blue 58, the Packers spent all offseason getting heat for not adding a wide receiver. Maybe that was justified, maybe not. But maybe they should have been getting criticized for not upgrading their defensive line. Let's talk about that. But first, it's not necessarily a bad thing that the Packers could regress in 2020. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. Before we get to the, the stuff I mentioned in the intro, a couple things I wanted to, to mention. First, thanks for the support, uh, the kind words from people talking about the upgraded studio setup. Some of you got to look at that via Patreon. A couple people signed up just to take a look as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah, this this is pretty awesome. I love the, the new stuff, still figuring out some of the things we can do with it. Uh, but for the time being, it, it's a lot of fun, and, and I'm having fun fun playing with it and getting used to it. So that that's pretty cool. Secondly... There was something I was going to mention in the last episode, but didn't. You may hear a somewhat high-pitched noise in the background, and depending what part of the country you're from or what country you live in, you may or may not know what that is. Yes, it is cicada season here in Northwest Ohio, which means that they have something to say on just about every episode we record. It'll be that way for a couple weeks. It's a bummer. Not much we can do about it. Um, I've tried to filter it out in the past to mixed results. I figured just leave it in. Just pretend like we're sitting out on the porch. And it's it's just going to be that way for a little while. So uh, those are the two housekeeping things we wanted to, wanted to take care of. Wanted to, to plug the Patreon once again. If, uh, if you want to get a behind-the-scenes look at what we're doing here, get a look at the new studio setup. And I've got some interesting content coming there too. So um, to take a look. Maybe, uh, maybe you'll find something of value there. Uh, before, again, we got to the other stuff, I uh, wanted to mention something interesting that, we, that I was a part of at uh, at acmepackingcompany.com. Every week there, we do a little roundtable chat with the other writers about just a question or topic that we're all interested in weighing in on. And this week, we're talking about our favorite stats for understanding NFL, NFL football better. And four or five writers there weigh in, myself included. And uh, there are some good thoughts there. So give that a look. I specifically talk about depth of target. That has become one of my recent favorite stats for evaluating people who catch the ball. I think it, it adds an interesting data point for, for who is doing their damage where on the field. The example we use that's Packers-related is Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Devontae Adams had an average depth of target in 2019 of, of exactly 10 yards. Uh, that's not unsurprising. That is pretty unsurprising, excuse me, um, because he's he's pretty much an intermediate receiver. He doesn't beat guys deep a lot. That's not really his game. He works the middle sort of distance. Um, that 8 to 12-yard range, he does it really, really well. Quick releases, working in space, uh, good relationship with Aaron Rodgers. He's that's, that's his game. So on average, when he's getting targeted with a pass, he's about 10 yards downfield. You can see a big difference, though, in Marquez Valdez-Scantling. His average depth of target last year was 16.9 yards. The Packers pretty much just exclusively sent him deep, and you can apply this to any number of receivers that you like, uh, but you get an idea of how they're being used. So check that out. I've linked to it in your show notes. Uh, give it a look. Another thing going around that's analytics-related, and that's kind of why I wanted to start off with the, with a conversation about which stats you should be aware of and, and how they can help you, we're talking about regression. This storyline's been going around again thanks to a piece by Bill Barnwell of ESPN 
And uh, it is linked if you want to take a, take a look at it. But we're going to talk through some of the themes that he touches on here. whole thing, I think, is worth a read. Uh, but here, here's the real gist of his point. I'm going to quote a couple paragraphs here. Quote, The Packers were 6-1 and one in games decided by 7 points or fewer, and that's not including two 8-point wins. As tempting as it is to ascribe that to Rodgers' brilliance, he was just 34-34-1 as a starter in those games before 2019. Is it possible that the difference between Lafleur and oft-criticized game manager Mike McCarthy was enough to turn this team into a late-game juggernaut? Theoretically, yes, although there has never been a coach in league history who won anything close to 85% of his close games over any significant length of time. The overwhelming evidence suggests they won't win as many of those close, close ones in 2020. What will slow down the Packers? To start, they're not likely to be as healthy. While star wideout Devontae Adams missed time, Rodgers started all 16 games. Guard Lane Taylor missed virtually the entire season after suffering a preseason injury. Actually, that is not true. He started the first couple games of the year. Why do national writers not get stuff like that right? That is just a, that's just a basic thing. Uh, anyway, but their other five linemen made it through all 16 games without any missed time. Likewise, while linebacker Oren Burks went down with a torn pectoral muscle before the season, the 11 projected starters on defense missed a total of four games throughout the regular season. The preseason injuries count, of course, but Green Bay's depth really wasn't tested, end quote. So basically, he touches on a bunch of stuff that we've talked about before. And overall, this theme of regression for the Packers shouldn't surprise you. This is something we've been talking about for a while. The Packers probably overachieved last year, but going 13-3 and is hard, and the Packers probably wouldn't go 13-3 and again this year anyway, even if they were every bit as good as their record show. Secondly, though, we need to push back against the people who want to twist this as saying that the Packers weren't good in 2019. They were, because bad teams don't go 13-3. and Did they overachieve? Probably, but they weren't bad. If you get into a conversation with somebody, and they try to rebut you and say that they'll likely not go 13-3 and again in 2020, you simply say, I'm not talking about 2020. Did they go 13-3 and in 2019? The answer, of course, is yes. So let's talk about regression then. I think the implication in a lot of these pieces and a lot of the discussion around these pieces is that regression means playing true to who they really are. And there's an aspect of that that suggests that maybe the Packers really weren't good in 2020 or 2019. I think it's better understood as playing true to their record, what their record should be, not who you are, what your record should be. Small but significant difference, I think. Your record is not always necessarily the best representation of who you are. I know I've defended in the past that saying you are who your record says you are, and it's true. That is true. The Packers' record says that they were 13-3 and last year. And to the Bears and Lions fans crowing and saying you got beat in the playoffs because you weren't a good 13-3, and in fact, you were the worst 13-3 and team of all time, say, cry about it. Your team was at home. Your team's record said they were bad, and that was right. I still think it is possible that the Packers could regress, air quotes, to a worse-looking record in 2020, but still actually be better than they were in 2019. The Packers were inconsistent at times in 2019. They sometimes disappeared for long stretches on offense, 
and they didn't play as well as they could in a couple high leverage situations. Thinking about, I don't know, just for a couple games off the top of my head, both games against the 49ers and one game against the Chargers. Seems like pretty common sense examples there. But let's look at the 2010 Packers as a perfect example for how a team can not have a stellar record but still be pretty solid. They were everything that Barnwell criticizes about the 2019 Packers. Well, criticizes may not even be the right word, points out about the 2019 Packers. But in reverse, the 2019 Packers were real healthy. The 2010 Packers were not. The 2019 Packers had a pretty good record in close games. The 2010 Packers were 4-6 and six in games decided by 7 points or less. The 2019 Packers were not always terribly consistent. Week to week, quarter to quarter, drive to drive. The 2010 Packers were very consistent. They didn't have a double-digit loss all season, but they beat up on teams that they were supposed to beat, and they beat them badly, including the playoffs. They had six double-digit wins. So let's say the Packers regress record-wise, but end up looking more like the 2010 Packers. They're more consistent, maybe a little bit more unhealthy, but they and they get worse breaks in close games. Would you say that team was worse than 2019? I don't think so. But technically, record-wise, they did regress. I think what you're really looking for from the Packers in 2019 is, is really that consistency. You're hoping that they're more consistent drive-to-drive, game-to-game, You see the same things from them. You see the same level of execution week in and week out because that'll show maturation as a team and Matt LaFleur's maturation as a coach. Continuing our position-by-position look at the 2020 Packers, we have now arrived at the defensive line. And I think a good way to look at the defensive line is to think about players as commodities. Now, don't read too much into that analogy. Always think of players as human beings, obviously. But think about their performance as commodities. I think you can sort all NFL players into four categories. They are either players who are known commodities and good, known commodities and relatively neutral, a player you should probably try to improve on but who isn't dragging you down, a player who is a known commodity and is bad, who should be replaced as soon as possible, and players who are unknowns. You just don't have enough information about them to know who they really are. The Packers have seven defensive linemen on their roster right now, so let's take a second and sort them into those categories. First, let's start with the guys who are known commodities and known to be good. I think the Packers have exactly one player who falls into this category, and that would be Kenny Clark. What good things can we say about Kenny Clark that haven't been said yet? He's young, he's clearly very talented, he may still be improving, and he can do a lot of different things for the Packers' defense. He is very much a known commodity. And in the very near future, he is going to become a very well-compensated known commodity. One way or another, the Packers are going to end up paying Kenny Clark. I did briefly debate doing a segment of our defensive line episode here talking about what if the Packers decided they didn't want to pay Kenny Clark or what if it came down to Kenny Clark and David Bakhtiari, which one would you really choose? Uh, If you had to choose just one between the two of them, who would you choose? And, And trying to make a case that you wouldn't choose Kenny Clark, but that just gets into talk radio nonsense. It's silly. The Packers aren't going to have to choose between the two of them. They're going to get them both. And 
Kenny Clark is going to be paid very, very well. As I look at the Packers roster right now, I think they have two known commodities on the defensive line who are pretty neutral. Guys who aren't dragging the team down, but the Packers should probably look to improve. First is Dean Lowry. I think even if you don't love his contract, you'd probably be pretty hard-pressed to say that he is actually bad. Yeah, he's maybe not as good as his contract says he should be. Maybe you should be getting a little bit more out of Dean Lowry to justify what they're paying for him. That's 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 fair. That's legitimate. But I don't think he's all, he also making the team actively worse. Could you improve over Dean Lowry? Probably. Could you do worse? Yeah, that's probably true too. Tyler Lancaster is the other one. And if you really wanted to argue and say that he is bad and wanted and should be replaced as soon as possible, I probably wouldn't argue with you all that much. I think there's a lot to like about Lancaster. He's got great athleticism with his size. He's fairly strong against the run. And and I think he can fill a useful role. He just doesn't get to do that role a whole lot on the Packers because of how they do their two defensive linemen looks basically as often as not. But that's a that's an entirely different discussion. That is a shortcoming that is not really Tyler Lancaster's problem. If you have a particular set of skills and you were getting in, put in a situation where those skills are not really being maximized or even used well, it's not really your fault if things don't play out all that well. For instance, I might be a pretty good podcaster. I know what to do with a microphone if you put it in front of me. But if you ask me to sing in your band, things will probably not work out all that well for you. Is that my problem? Not really. That's your problem for asking me to sing in your band. Please don't ask me to sing in your band. I won't do it. It'll be it'll be better for both of us if I don't. That's Tyler Lancaster. Tyler Lancaster is me singing in a band. There is at least one known bad commodity on the Packers roster right now at defensive line, and I think that's Montrevious Adams. Given everything he's shown in his Packers career so far, I don't know how you argue anything other than that Montrevious Adams is making the Packers' defense actively worse whenever he's on the field. He should be replaced as soon as possible, and I'm tired of the happy talk from the coaches. Yes, he has great athletic gifts. Yes, he can take over and do some great things at times, but he doesn't do it consistently enough, and he makes so many just basic errors that he's a liability when he's on the field. He should be replaced as soon as possible, and if the Packers released him tomorrow— I wouldn't set a shingle, shed a single tear uh, for the, the state of their roster overall. That leaves us with three unknown commodities. Trayvon Hester, Kingsley Kiki, and Willington Prevalon. Let's start with Hester. Hester's been around a while. He's had stops with a couple NFL teams, and the most notable thing he's done in his NFL career so far is partially block the double-doink missed field goal that gave the Philadelphia Eagles a playoff win over the Chicago Bears. That's about it. There is some to like about him, but really he's just a big body, and we don't really know who he's going to fit in the Packers system. And I I've classify him as an unknown because it's hard to say what he could do in the Packers system given how often they run those two defensive linemen looks. He does have some fairly decent size again, but as we've we've seen with Tyler Lancaster, that's not necessarily a promise of good performance 
in the Packers' defense. There's a lot of things that are out of your control as far as that goes. Kingsley Kiki is kind of the opposite. We know what the Packers think they can do with him. They think they can line him up all over the defensive line and he'll be able to succeed because he's a pretty good athlete. He, too, has some, some decent size. And again, he has that ability to line up just about everywhere. He did it in college, and he's done it for the Packers. The problem is he hasn't gotten a chance to do it a whole lot. And I was kind of confused by that in 2019. I thought he would get more opportunities than he did. But defensive linemen, like a lot of positions that rely on size in the NFL, does require do require a little bit of seasoning. It takes young defensive linemen a while to get comfortable playing at the NFL level. Kenny Clark is kind of the exception, and even he did not really light things up as a rookie all that much. Finally, that brings us to Willington Prevalent. Again, the most unknown of unknown commodities. Big enough to be an NFL football player, that's really all we know about him beyond that. Uh, Had some good things said about him in college. Again, good enough to be on an NFL roster right now and survive a couple releases along the defensive line already. But it seems like there may be a long road ahead if he's looking to make the active roster. Looking at the Packers' defensive line group this way tells me a couple of things. First, I think it's clear, just looking at the guys that the Packers have here, that they're going to continue to play a lot of their two down linemen looks. You can't go with much more than that very often with only this many bodies to choose from. And it's going to be fewer than seven on the 53-man roster. So as a result, we're going to see a lot of three edge rusher groups on the field for the Packers. Two defensive linemen, three edge rushers, maybe a hybrid linebacker, and then five defensive backs. I think that adds up to 11. That's what you're going to have with one of those three edge rushers functioning as a defensive lineman. But that leads me to my second point here, my second observation about the Packers' defensive linemen, and I guess more as a whole, their front seven. I think this is a group, including that those edge rushers, that is very vulnerable to injury. Look how few players you'd have to remove before your two defensive linemen, three edge rusher group looks really weak. What if, for instance, Kenny Clark goes down? Your two defensive linemen in that situation are a pair of Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, and Montrevious Adam. Pick two there. Does that feel like a good defensive line pairing? Kenny Clark is going to be asked to carry a lot of the load here. And if he can't, if he gets hurt, if there's any slippage in his performance at all, the Packers are in real trouble up front. Or... What if Zadarius Smith goes down? Can you really run two defensive linemen and three edges if one of your three edge guys isn't the same size as Zadarius Smith? Preston Smith is almost as big, but not quite. And his body type is significantly different than Zadarius Smith's. Rashawn Gary is close, but can he handle Smith's workload as a second-year guy? There's a reason he didn't get a ton of snaps last year. I'll circle back to close out to something that I I said in the open. The headline story from the offseason was that the Packers didn't upgrade their wide receiver group really at all. Now with 
Devin Funches sitting out the season, they functionally didn't add anything, any proven talent to their wide receiver group. But maybe the headline should have been that they didn't even really try to upgrade their defensive line. Clearly, Mike Pettin was okay with the way the team performed down the stretch. Because it doesn't seem like there's any plans to play more than two defensive linemen super regularly. I think that's concerning. Because as I said around draft time, defensive line is one of those positions that should be a priority backfill basically all the time. You should always be injecting bodies into that position because you need a lot of them. And you need a lot of good ones to succeed. Look at how the San Francisco 49ers built their defense so quickly. What did they do? They started with their defensive line. They really got a bunch of butt kickers up front. And it's kind of taking care of the rest of their defense. The flip side of that is that there is a growing amount of analytic support for the idea that actually coverage is more important than pass rush. And that pass rush doesn't have as big an impact on coverage as you might suspect. The real reason the Packers' defense improved in 2019 may not have been so much as a result of Zadarius and Preston Smith as it was about Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage, Jair Alexander being in his second year, Kevin King playing healthy for the full year, Tremont Williams having a good year at age 67. Going to run that joke into the ground. Chandon Sullivan giving the Packers quality reps. That probably had a bigger amount to do with the Packers' defense improving than the front. So maybe that is the Packers' answer to why they didn't try to improve their defensive line more. Maybe they're just that big a believer as a group in their secondary. Still probably won't get it done if the San Francisco 49ers can run their run the ball as well as they did in 2019. But that's a question for a different day. So I've got for you in this episode. I do appreciate you listening in. really appreciate everybody who takes the time to download an episode, get all the way through it, and to just continue to tune in week in and week out. Download numbers have been great, you guys. Really appreciate everybody who, who has continued to support the show and help us grow and help us do new and interesting things and really help us continue to help everybody become smarter Packers fans. As I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.